Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag podcast presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words, and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. In this episode, we share the second recording of our new men's study called Renew, which features our dear friend Justin Young. Just a reminder for those of you who didn't hear his story in episode 44, Justin is a survivor of sexual abuse and he's our online men's facilitator for our Renew study. His story and the life lessons that he shares are so relatable and inspiring. So if you're a survivor, we hope this episode encourages you to make this your time to walk through some form of healing. And we also hope this episode will be the sign that you need that now is the time to take back your story and control in this area of your life. Justin, will you pray for us? Absolutely. Lord, we just thank you so much uh, for another day. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together on this video and Lord, ultimately to see you bring healing to men who have been victims of sexual abuse. Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us the words to say, Lord, not our words, but exactly uh, what these men need to hear. And uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would just encourage their hearts, God, give them uh, an assurance that they're, they're doing the right thing here, uh, that you're right there with them. Uh, Lord, that they can look expectantly forward to the healing that they're going to receive uh, as a result of doing this work. And Lord, I pray you bring the right people into their life if they're not already there that can support them and encourage them and pray for them and walk alongside them as they uh, go on the journey from a survivor to a thriver. We love you, Lord. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. So as we dive into this content for this this unit in this specific video, we are going to be uncovering the false beliefs that we have believed about our sexual abuse and about ourself. So the experience of sexual abuse oftentimes, uh, probably every time, will leave a victim with a false set of messages that they believe about what has happened to them. And if believed as absolute truths, these false beliefs will create consequences in your life, like shame, insecurities, feelings of guilt. And what we wanna do is talk about these, these false beliefs. We wanna help you learn what they could have done to your life, help you try to see, okay, maybe this is how this has applied in my life. And then what we want to do is give you some ways to help set you free. So the first, well, first we'll go over all four of them and then we'll break each one down. So the first one is, it's my fault. The second one is, I must have been a terrible person for this to have happened to me. Number three is, I wanted him or her to do this to me. 
And number four is, it didn't happen, I must have made it up. So let's look at each one individually. It's my fault. So victims, whether they are adults or children, at, time, at the time of their abuse, typically accept total responsibility for what has happened to them. They say things like, if I didn't go here, that never would have happened. So just to give you an example, this may not be your story, it's just something to get your wheels turning about your own situation. So if a girl drinks alcohol and goes to a party and gets sexually abused, she often will think to herself that if I never went to that party and I never drank, I never would have gotten sexually abused. And the reality is, is that if it wasn't her, it would have been someone else, right? The reality is, is that the consequences of going to a party, getting drunk is a hangover. It's not sexual abuse. So Kristen, talk to us about this false belief. What are some of the messages that somebody will be believing about themselves with this false belief? Yeah. And just like when you kind of started to um, describe it at first, right. In regards to it's my fault, it's taking that full responsibility of it. And I think a lot of times why people do this is because the acknowledgement of how powerless we were at the time of the abuse sometimes is so overwhelming that it is almost um, easier to say, well, it was just my fault. You know, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have worn that, whatever it was, you know, um, I had more power in this situation than I, than I'm acknowledging. It's hard to say that you were actually a victim of abuse, that you did not have power in that situation. The power was taken away from you is really, really hard to acknowledge and scary. And so that's, I think a lot of times why people go to this, um, the it's my fault and then try to take full responsibility for it. And when we do that, when we take responsibility for what was not ours to take responsibility for, then you're carrying around this huge burden on your back. Um, and it, it leaves you with little to process because you're just walking around saying, well, it's my fault anyways. Like what else is there to talk about? I shouldn't have done ABC. I shouldn't have, um, you know, fill in the blank for whatever it was. It's, it's my fault anyways. Um, but that is absolutely not the truth. That is just not true. It is, it is absolutely a false belief. And again, I think it has to do with not wanting to acknowledge powerlessness. It's really hard to do that. And I remember we had talked about this a while ago. I think this was one of our episodes on our podcast where this came to me. It was like a light went off. I don't know if yeah. you remember, but I was like, ah, yeah. that's my problem. I had been such, I had put a wall around my heart. I had been such a tough girl and I did not want to, in admitting that I had been sexually abused, came with admitting that I was weak, that I was not in control. Mm-hmm. And that seemed more problematic or scary for me than admitting that it was my fault seemed easier. It was the easier go-to in my mind. So that one is a hard one. And, and, and I think what you're going to see is that one flows into the rest. Justin, do you have anything you want to add to that one? Not, not on that one. Okay. So the second one is, I must have been a terrible person for him or her to have done this to me. So children, especially if you've been sexually abused as a child, 
they have a hard time accepting that adults can, you know, do wrong or can harm children. Um, I, I know I, I look at the innocence of a child. I don't have my own child, but when I see little children, I was just telling them a story that I had seen a little girl outside and I wanted her to come over to me because I wanted her to know that my dog was friendly. So I told her to come on over and I, I grabbed her hand and I was, and she willingly grabbed my hand. And I was thinking in that moment, gosh, I shouldn't have done that. But also this little girl is depending on me to know what right and wrong is. She doesn't know. Right. And so children can take on themselves when they have been sexually abused by an adult that, geez, this was my fault. I, I did this, or I, I must've been a bad girl. I must have worn a skirt too short. I must've been a bad boy. I must not have, you know, shown that I was tough enough. And that's why this happened to me. But the reality is, is that when a person accepts lie number one, this second one is going to follow very close, closely after. And victims often try to hold on to the positive aspects of their relationship with that person. And so what you will see oftentimes is a consistent cycle of this abuse where they go, okay, I must have, that must've been my fault. I I'm the one who did that. I'm the one who caused that. And then the abuser abuses them again. And then we go through the cycle all over again. So Kristen, do you want to speak into this one a little bit? Sure. I think that, um, again, I think a lot of it goes back to that powerlessness, you know, it's a, it's a similar kind of thing. And I think if, again, if we can just say, um, it's me, it's somehow this is me. I had some control in this because I'm bad. I'm terrible. Then, um, we can blame ourselves and not acknowledge that it, that it happened to us and we didn't have control over it. I think it's a, it's, there's a similar, um, just like you talked about in the first place. I mean, I think it's tied in pretty closely with it's my fault. It's that it's the avoidance of acknowledging powerlessness that I couldn't, I, I couldn't stop it or I didn't stop it. Or why didn't I say no? Why didn't I fight back stronger? You know, something's wrong with me. Right. And then we're going to, we're going to get into the next one, which then is tied into with what I, something I just said too. So. Yeah. And actually, as you were talking, I said, I thought to myself, I don't want to miss this. If you were sexually abused by a coach or a spiritual mentor, maybe someone at your church, you know, that one is a big one of confusion. And, and this is, again, it goes back to just reminding yourself, no matter the position that this person held, they are at fault not you, no matter what the circumstances were. I, I have a, a man who did, um, a, did our nobleman study with me. He, he did, he walked through just like you are, but he, he walked in through like Justin is, um, just sort of walking through the healing journey while we're on recording. And he had been sexually abused by his spiritual mentor. And this guy took advantage of him by using spiritual things like Hey, do you want to learn how to do, do a baptism? Why don't you come over to my house and I'll put you, we'll do it in my pool. And he did things to sort of break down his barriers and things that, you know, he never would have done, you know, without having that authority in his life. And then that escalated from that to, let me give you a massage. Then it escalated to that, to let's be naked in our room, in the room together. And from that to sexually abusing him. 
So, you know, just keep that in mind that if you were sexually abused by someone in spiritual authority, you're not alone. And, and that's a, that, that's a different, that's, that's a type of abuse that we, we understand because it happens, but please know that that should not hinder your walk with God. And we'll get into that much later about, you know, trying not to hold God responsible for what humans do here on this earth. Yeah. Like being able to make a separation there. And I think too, um, this when that type of a thing happens where there's that power structure where you're abused by some, well, and a large majority of the time it is a power differential differential when we're talking about abuse. Um, not always, but a lot of times when we're talking about um, someone who is in a position of authority over you. And particularly we're talking about spiritual um, authority, somehow, somehow a spiritual authority over you, it can be so much more complicated to pull these things apart because there's a level of you were seeing that person as somehow already potentially better than you, more knowledgeable than you, especially if they were an adult, right? Um, No more than you. um, If we're talking about the spiritual part, like closer to God than you, um, someone you look up to that you wanted to be like. So it automatically sets up something is absolutely wrong with me it couldn't be that person because this person is so um, spiritual, so um, important, so knowledgeable, so um, powerful, whatever that is, you know, there already, there's a level of a pedestal going on as it is. So if abuse happens, it's very, very hard and confusing to separate that out and call it what it is, which is predatory, which is criminal, which is, you know, all the things that it actually is. Um, it's hard to call it what it is. And that's again, one of those, you know, some of those things that we want to be able to help you do is call it what it is, because that's a very, very important part of healing is to call it what the behavior, what it was. Yeah. And what I want to add to that is like, as you were going down the list of they're better than you, blah, blah. One of the things that we can think of is they're closer to God than you. And you need to just remember that's not true, but also that, they took advantage of that knowledge of what you thought of them. Cause I've had this happen to me where people or a pastor basically, you know, made me believe, or I knew what he was, but at the same time, I fell into the trap of believing that, you know, Oh, he's so spiritual. He's so good. He's so no one will ever call him out on his thing. And you know, who will ever listen to me as I had a story with this person And so that kept me quiet for much, much longer than it should have. And so, you know, just know that it's like, it's complicated. It gets even more complicated. And that's why this, again, if that's your story, that, that this is, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Then the third one is I wanted him or her to do this to me. So I often ask this question is I want to ask you right now. Did you want what happened to you to happen to you? Probably not. Okay. But like most people who have been sexually aroused, even though it was a violation or abuse, your body was responding the way that it was created to. So a lot of times when somebody is being sexually abused, they orgasm and people cannot understand how that's possible. And it's very possible because you could be totally not wanting something to be happening from you to you. And then your body does 
totally the opposite by like making it seem like it's totally enjoying it. And that's just not the case. So it's a, it's, it's makes, again, this, it goes even more, that's an even more complicated way that you're going to need to heal and you're going to need to work through. But just remember that this is a lie. It's a false belief. And in the context of marriage, your body is absolutely supposed to orgasm. Absolutely. Are you supposed to enjoy sex? So just don't look at your body and think that it failed you because it did what it was created to do. Kristen, do you have anything here? Yeah. I mean, I think you said it too, Nicole. This is, this is one of those areas also that I think can create so much shame. Um, because again, it's like how in the world, if this was a crime, if this was a violation, if I was violated, if I was abused, then how in the world could there have been any enjoyment in it? If there was enjoyment, then I must have wanted it somehow. And that is just, um, again, we just, we are right um, with you in wanting you to know that no, that this is, does not mean that you wanted this to happen. It was your body, your normal physiological response happening as your body was is able to um, experience pleasure when stimulated, you know, when certain areas of your body are stimulated. And so this is a normal physiological response and that can still happen in the middle of abuse, abusive situations. So that does not mean that you wanted that to happen. And again, that's what we want to help you kind of, um, whether it, within this program, you know, within professional counseling, those are the things that we want to help you process through that. So you can let go of the shame related to however your body responded to the abuse. Totally. So good. Okay. So the fourth one is it didn't happen. I must've made it up. So what I have found is that this one, when all the other ones don't make sense or you can't find yourself there, this one will just, this is it. This is the one where you just kind of land. Um, and for me, this is, I, I mean, I, I feel like at all at various times as I was growing up, I had all of them, but this is the one that kept me silent the most. It kept me feeling shame. It kept me feeling, um, you know, so I, the guy that sexually abused me lived down the street from me. Every time I pulled onto my road, either with my mom, with my dad, with my brother, I rode my bike, whatever. I would tell myself it didn't happen. You made it up bottom line. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have, I had fragmented memories. I, it was basically like, the only thing I can think of is like a glass shattered into millions of little pieces and me just kind of picking up the small little pieces here and there. I don't have a full mirror, full glass. I only have these little pieces to make up this thing, this situation. So it's unclear, right? But what my counselor had to work with me on is I, if there's fragments, lean into those, right? So I remember what I felt. I remember, I remember certain aspects of it. So that means there's something there right? It doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that I made it up. So Kristen speak into this a little bit, how sure. this one's such a hard one. How yeah. can somebody find truth in this? Yeah. So something um, I think that's really important is we believe you, you know, we are not investigators. We are not trying to disprove whatever memory you do have. Um, and sometimes I think victims of sexual abuse try to discredit themselves. 
because exactly what you said, Nicole, the, the memory is in pieces, it's in fragments. You only remember certain things. You just know how you feel when you're around that person. Why do I feel sick to my stomach? Why am I repelled against them? Why do I not want to be around uncle so-and-so, you know, like what is that response going on in me? But it, those responses are valid. There's a book um, that I've talked about before and other things, podcasts and so forth. And it's called the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. And so just the message of, in the title, the body keeps the score, your body remembers what happened, even if you don't have the full memory. So that reaction that you're having to being around that person to a certain smell that a cologne, maybe that person or a perfume that that person was wearing or cigarette smell or whatever it was, um, or a sight or a sound or a voice or a breath. It could be anything. Um, there's times when people remember trauma and it's very linear. It's in order. And they remember like all these details. There's a lot of other times within trauma, um, when people remember a traumatic incident where it really is fragmented. And a lot of times too, that is because your body was in fight flight freeze mode. You were in survival mode. A lot of your high level functioning was shut down to simply survive. So the fact that you have memories that are in fragments is not strange. So we're not going to look at you sideways and say like, well, no way. If you don't remember the whole thing in order, then it didn't happen. That is absolutely inaccurate. Um, fragments are valid. And in fact, you don't have to remember your whole story of the actual abuse to be able to heal and process through it. We're you know, I'm going to speak from like a professional counseling. Um, it is not helpful to go through the story necessarily in order for some people. It, it can be a ther have therapeutic value um, because they want to get this whole thing out. But that isn't it isn't necessary. It isn't a requirement to go through the whole story in order and remember every single detail in order to heal from it. So um, sometimes, in fact, that's re-traumatizing. So we, we are very careful in how we work with people through that. So again, just know you did not make it up. We believe you. Um, and again, many times for trauma, it is the memories are fragmented, but how we definitely want to pay attention to how your body is responding to triggering type situations or stimuli such as those smells or sights or sounds or being around a certain person that you're very much repelled by or something because it could just be they're reminding you of the, of your perpetrator. So all of those things are valid. Um, I don't believe you made it up. So I think on this one in particular, and I know we, we touch on this in the curriculum, right, that this can be really exacerbated uh, in a family situation where perhaps it's not just you that's questioning it, but you have others that are actively questioning or disputing or refuting um, what you're saying has happened, right? This, this wasn't my situation. I didn't disclose my abuse until much later in my life, and it wasn't involving a family member. But, um, you know, you've got the situation where the uncle is the abuser or the grandfather is the abuser and the mom or the dad just simply cannot bring themselves to believe that this is happening or, you know, perhaps they just they refuse to. Right. They see the signs. They may know in their mind what's happened but they choose to believe and perpetuate a lie and then impress that lie upon you, right? As the, uh, as the victim, that didn't happen. You're making it up, you know, so-and-so would never do that. Uh, and I think in that case, you know, you've got an extra challenge to sort of overcome there and that not only are you questioning yourself, but someone else is questioning you as well. But, you know, for, for me, 
Um, most of the memories from, you know, my younger, uh, age of being abused are very, very limited, very, very fragmented. Um, and I think I've in various ways struggled with all of these different false beliefs, um, in one way or another, you know, thinking, you know, well, I think especially as a man, right. Um, I'm supposed to be strong, tough, brave. Why didn't I punch this person? You know, why didn't I say something? Why, you know, why'd they choose me? I was too weak. I was too soft. Um, you know, that all comes into play of, you know, ultimately leading you back to a place of this was my fault. Um, I think, um, and, you know, not to be uh, overly biological here, but I'd say uh, probably for a man, even more frequently than a woman, the likelihood that you did come to some sort of a climax during the experience is probably a lot higher. Right. And I think that can certainly just reinforce that that self-doubt of, well, if that happened, I must have wanted it. I, I must have been a willing participant. There must be some part of me that that wanted that. Right. Which I know can lead even to significant sexual identity issues later in life, right? Well, if I enjoyed that when that that man did that to me, does that mean that I'm, you know, of this now different sexual orientation, um, really all stemming back to that false belief. So I think while they're all different, they're all interrelated. And I think I can uh, empathize with Nicole that at various times I've sort of believed each one of those maybe in a different way. Um, but, you know, I, I think just because as Nicole and Kristen both shared, you know, just because you remember very little um, doesn't mean that you're making it up. I think, um, you know, you know, deep down, you may not have wanted to believe it or acknowledge it, but I think, you know, you know, if you really sit back and think and, and consider your past, I think, you know, you know what happened and uh, it's not a lie or something yeah. you made up. I do want to add something else, if you don't mind, just jumping on what Justin said, Justin, I'm so glad you brought this up. When you have um, potentially like family members or caregivers that are doubting what happened, I, I'm i not sure that I have full words to um, emphasize how important it is that you believe parents that you or caregivers that you believe children who report sexual abuse. It is not your job to discredit children's report of sexual abuse. It is absolutely not your job. In fact, it is your job to believe them and get them the help they need. It is your job. That is, I don't know what other way to say that because it is tremendously, tremendously damaging for you not to believe them and to make attempts at discrediting. And many times that happens um, for various reasons, but sometimes it's because you can't, um, because a parent is having a hard time um, facing what may have happened to them in the past. And so it's bringing up their own stuff. Um, it could be because of potential fear of uh, disruption in the family and so forth. But I cannot tell you the long-term effects. I cannot emphasize enough the long-term effects on a child when they are not believed. And th therefore that trauma is not addressed as it needs to be. Um, at the time that it happens, there's so much that ends up having to be done later on. Um, and a whole lot of it is when the child is not believed. I cannot tell you how many people come to us with that exact story. Yes. My mom didn't believe me when I told her or the mom saying crying or dad crying on the phone saying, you know, 
I, I didn't believe her or him when he, when they told me for the first time, and now they've been sexually abused multiple times. And it's so heartbreaking because you don't want to correct the parent when they're down, but you want them to realize that there's, there was a better way and you had the opportunity. And one of the things I always tell that at my counsel, I always give is every moment can be, you can fix any moment in time. So one of the ways that I would recommend is go to your child now, tell them I have dropped the ball on this. I am so sorry. I, you came to me, you told me this and I didn't believe you. And here's why. Yeah. And just explain the the why. And, and it, it may not be that you were sexually abused. It may just be that you were, you didn't know the details. You didn't understand. Maybe you believe that they were a liar. I don't know. I just, I feel like this is very important that we share this with you and that we don't, um, we recognize how important your impact is on yeah. that future generation yeah. getting their own healing. If, because I wasn't believed when I told my parents and I was a 30-year-old woman. No, I was a 36-year-old woman. I, I can only imagine what that would have done to me if I was a 15-year-old child or a 13-year-old child or a 12-year-old. It would have it would have destroyed me. Right. So I had done the hard work. I had I had invested in myself. I had given myself the confidence. And I told myself, no matter what my parents say or do, I know what happened to me. It doesn't change my story. I know what happened to me. And it was a hard day when I told my dad and, and he was like, if that were true, you would have told me. And I'm like, oh, because you're responding so loving right now. That's right. You know, so we don't mean to harp on that, but you get our point and the reasons why we're sharing. We believe you. Yeah, yeah, we believe you. So if you feel that from us, make sure that you push that on to other others by saying, we, I believe you. Yeah. All right. And that actually brings us to my next point, which is. This could be the point in in the unit, or this could be the point in your life where you're saying, like, none of this really affected me, or I didn't believe, I didn't have any of those false beliefs. That's called minimization, because there has to be a reality that you dealt with at least one, or if not all of them. And so survivors often minimize their sexual abuse. They do that for their own protection, you know, to make sure that they're staying strong in their own eyes, but that's optics. That's not reality, right? So you have to deal with something in order to change it. Um, the person who abused you may have made you feel that it was a harmless situation, that they weren't, that they were just doing something and it wasn't that big of a deal. Right. And so that may be something, a message that was in your mind and in your heart. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why you minimize is because the person who abused you did so. But the reality is, is that you cannot minimize your abuse. If you want to get that full healing, if you want to work through this, you've got to acknowledge its effects on your life. So Kristen, speak into minimization, please. Sure. I, I, a couple things. I think, first of all, it's pretty natural. This is, I think, a part of it um, that we tend to minimize. And I sometimes I think it's simply out of ignorance. I don't think we don't understand fully at the time of like full awareness of what happened, maybe of our story of the abuse. I don't we I don't think we can grasp its effects fully. I think it takes time to soak in and to 
go through a process where we're able to see like, oh my goodness, this area and that area and this area and this, and these are all of the different effects that this, the abuse has had on me. And I didn't realize this. So again, a lot of times it's a natural reaction um, because we just don't. And, and again, a lot of times it's because we don't understand, um, but it's really important when we notice ourselves doing that along the way, sometimes that's avoidance of the pain. That is a, it can just simply also be avoidance of pain of like, oh my goodness, I don't want to see that this has affected my marriage or other relationships or the relationships with my family or my own kids and my avoidance of this or of that, or my pornography addiction or whatever it is. Like there's so many potential effects that the abuse has had that it's just a lot to look at. So minimization can be what we do, but in order to heal, it's really important that we, um, allow our eyes to remain open. And that's why we need support to not close them again and hide away and, you know, try to avoid. Yeah. And one of the other things I just want to add to this is um, a lot of times Christians will put that spiritual bandaid over what they've gone through by saying, well, I've forgiven or I've moved on. It's not a big deal. It's, you know, how could this, I can't tell you how many phone calls I take like that. And those are, those are the hardest people to get through. Because basically what you're trying to tell them is, is yes, God is forgiving and he does want you to forgive, but I still need you to get angry about this, right? Like not only did this person sin against you, but a crime was committed against you. If somebody stole your car, you would get pretty PO'd. I I mean, I would like to think you would. If someone broke your window, right? Broke your heart, broke your window, stole something from you, you're going to get, you're going to get fired up. So I, we need that same fired up for your sexual abuse because you matter that much. It matters that much. Did you want to add anything, Justin? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, the, the best way for me to talk about this, cause I did this for many, many years. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the prior video, um, when it came to like growing up without a dad, right. For years and years and years, I told people, Oh, didn't bother me. doesn't affect me. Never needed him anyhow. Uh, when really, you know, deep down it was tearing me up inside. Um, so I think, you know, in, in the Bible, it talks a lot about people that have leprosy, right? That was like a common disease back then. When you have leprosy, I think it still exists in the world in some places today. Like, um, I think it starts small and eventually like parts of your body literally start rotting and falling off. Right. So the, the analogy I would make here is, you're walking around life and people can see you. They can look at you and say, Hey, like you're, you're sick, right? You may do a good job hiding it. You know, you you may be, you know, putting nice clothes over your leprous skin and whatever, but like, ultimately um, if this keeps going unchecked, right, the disease will progress and it will become evident. Right. And my life, it was evident by my addiction evident by my destructive behavior that had negative impacts on myself and upon other people and, you know, recurring, right. Like just couldn't seem to get past it. And, you know, until I finally got into some deep counseling for the first time in my life and, you know, was able to be led to the place of understanding like, Hey, these things actually have really deeply impacted you. And we need to unpack that and work through that. And then only then, will you be able to move forward? And I also, Nicole, I want to touch on just the whole sort of Christian band-aid thing. Um, I actually worked 
in an addiction recovery ministry uh, for men for for some time, for some years. Um, and, you know, I, the very, very common lie is, well, I'm just going to like pray and read my Bible and this is going to go away, right? Don't get me wrong. Praying and reading your Bible are absolutely important things that you should be doing, right? Spending time with God, talking to him, listening to him, vitally important. But um, at least in my life, and I think this is true for everyone else that I know that's been in the same situation, um, reading the Bible and praying does not heal your trauma from the past, right? I think it is very often just, I'm going to sort of white knuckle my way out of this, or I'm going to believe my way out of this. And unfortunately, that doesn't really work, right? So I think do those things, um, but also you know, again, I, I, we've reinforced it several times. Like I cannot stress enough, at least for me, even with like strong personal spiritual relationships, it was not until the point that I was able to get into counseling with, with my wife and uh, a husband and wife counseling team. And really for both of us got in there and really went back, went deep. Hey, like, let's talk about the things that happened to you when you were a kid and how they impacted you. How did you feel when that happened to you? Um, now, and then also like when certain things happen in your life today, how does that make you feel the same as it did back then? And drawing that connection, right? Between man, well, now I can see, I always react very angrily when this particular thing happens to me, because that's the exact way that I felt when this thing was done to me as a child making that connection, understanding that behavior is so valuable and like being able to, to, again, do the work. And I think a common trap for people to fall into is like Nicole said, well, I'm, you know, I'm saved now. I'm a new creation in Christ. All that old stuff is gone. And that's certainly true to a certain extent in the spiritual realm, but very practically when it comes to, um, the way you're wired as a human being, a lot of that has to do with things that happened to you as a child and unhealthy things that happened to you as a child will make you an unhealthy adult and leave you as an unhealthy adult until you deal with them. Oh, that's so good. That was great, Justin. I would, I want to say too, I think a lot of times how I have seen the Lord work in other people's lives and my own life included is I think that he allows us to see the pain that we have and internal pain. A lot of times is a whole lot worse than external. We have a broken bone. It's pretty hard to avoid it. Most of the time we're probably gonna go get it fixed, meaning we're going to go get a cast put on. We're going to have it put in the right position and so forth to be able to heal. Right. But those internal wounds that people can't see, I think the Lord shows us these wounds, allows us to see them. And then he allows us to make the choice for to ask for healing. God does not force healing upon us, but he tells us we don't have because we don't ask. So healing happens in many different ways. Sometimes it is an instantaneous healing that happens, but a lot of times it's a process like something like this, like going through these videos and through this program and through these lessons and through therapy and so forth. So I think, again, I think the Lord shows us these areas where we are wounded, but a lot of times we just tuck those things away, say, nope, not going there. So that's okay. He's not going to force healing upon you. But the amazing thing is if he allows you to see the wounds that are there and you turn around and say, I'm, I need healing. This hurts. These areas hurt. I know that he will meet you there. 
mm-hmm. for healing, you know, because he's our healer. It just happens in different ways. God is not in a box and he's going to do it the way that is best. And it's not always the way that's fun. I mean, would you guys so, agree that oftentimes with internal, um, emotional thing, wounds that need healing, we, we can turn to substances, things, TV, people to try to heal those wounds or avoid to avoid. Yeah. Or what we think will help us with those wounds, but they only end up prolonging what we need to do in the way of looking at them and dealing with them. I think so. Justin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I like to talk about it this way with people because when you are addicted to a substance, right. That is a destructive addiction. And it's usually, it gets to a point of being very evident, right. It becomes unmanageable and you can't really hide it. Um, But every single person I think self-medicates in one way or another. Right. But a lot of times it's with stuff that's would seem to be healthy. Right. I just like, I like to work out a lot. Um, You know, even like people can do this in unhealthy in a a spiritual way. Right. Like I, I just volunteer at every single thing at church and, you know, okay. Like at first at face value, you think, Oh my goodness, this person is so amazing. They're such a servant and that's all good and well, but what's the motivation, right? If I'm doing that because I feel guilty and ashamed and I'm in this like sort of works-based, fear-based relationship with God and I feel like I need to go like work my way back into his good graces. But I mean, um, anything in your life um, can be something that you use to distract yourself from dealing with pain, numb yourself. um, And, you know, some of those things, as I mentioned, can be really destructive and like very evident, like it's very clear that they're bad. But other things I think are even a little bit more insidious than that, where you're pouring yourself into something into like an obsessive or compulsive way um, that is, you know, might seem to the average person like, oh, that's that's fine. That's healthy. That's good. They're just passionate about that thing. But again, I think stopping and asking yourself, like, am I going to do this thing or am I engaged so heavily in this thing because I just genuinely like it? Or, um, you know, am I using this as a coping mechanism? And again, I'm not, if you go to the gym and, you know, you work out and it makes you feel good and it, you're healthy, like that's, that's fine. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying um, there's also the potential that sort of anything in your life could be used as an unhealthy coping mechanism that prevents you from facing reality, facing pain you know, doing the work that you need to do. And I think that manifests itself in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. But, um, you know, ultimately, um, you want to get to a place where, um, and I'm certainly not suggesting that us here on the screen have this figured out, but I can tell you that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, would I be able to sit here and have this type of open discussion and share openly on this video that strangers are going to watch? you know, no, I've only gotten to this place through a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, some hard work, some great people, you know, the influence and love of the Lord. And, you know, we want to see you get to that same place, right? Where you can sit here and say, Hey, you know what? I'm not perfect. I still have struggles in my life. I've got challenges, but, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a whole lot better than I used to be because I've walked this journey of healing and now I can share my story with other people so that they can hopefully achieve healing as well. 
So beautiful. So yeah. good. Thank you. All right. So now we have the consequences of believing false beliefs. So the first one is low self-esteem. So Kristen, can you speak into this a little bit? How can believing false beliefs affect somebody's self-esteem? Um, I mean, think about it. If you're walking around thinking, um, saying that I was abused yet, it's my fault. I'm terrible. I must've wanted this and I must've made it up and we're minimizing what happened to us, right? Taking all this crazy responsibility for it, but then also saying it was probably no big deal. And I don't think it affected me. How are you not going to have low self-esteem, right? How are you not going to feel terrible about yourself and really struggle to, um, be accepting of, of you as a person, like your good and bad strengths and weaknesses, right? So low, low self-esteem, I think is a really natural consequence, um, of believing all these false things about yourself. I don't know how anyone would have a healthy self-esteem under those conditions when we're, when you're believing a bunch of lies about yourself. I mean, you could have a facade, you could have a facade that you're, that you're confident. Cause I, cause despite, right. I like, I had a crafted facade that I was so confident, so good point. strong. So this, that I, what, but what I was, was really, and I don't want to say insecure, but it was, yeah. I mean, it was insecurity. I even hate saying that now, but you know, I struggled with seeing myself as, 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 as in a good place. Cause as I would go back to if like I got yelled at at work or if I if I lost my job, I would instantly go to it was your fault. You did something wrong. And then how did I compensate for that? I did it by perfectionism and um, making sure that I did everything right. I always besides showing up on time, I did everything right. I was the go to person to handle any issue. And so that kept control. me. I was in control and not, but it was all fake. It was not real. Yeah. And it wasn't until, you know, I walked through healing that I recognized what this abuse had taken from me and what it had done to me and how, how believing false beliefs can naturally make you insecure in many ways and want to compensate. And, and, and as you'll read in the book, there's, all these different um, natural things that come from being sex- sexually abused. Some of the narratives that we tell ourselves or the messages that we tell ourselves, it goes beyond this. It's, it's some of the codependencies that we create in our lives based on the false beliefs that we believe. So it's, it's doing the hard work and it's recognizing, okay, I need help in this area. I need to, but how does one, Kristen, speak into this? How does one go? Okay, I don't want to be insecure. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to believe these beliefs anymore. So, how can somebody overcome this and start believing truth? Um, there's, yeah, there's uh, definitely a lot of what um, therapists work on is cognitive behavioral type approaches um, to changing your thinking to change your behavior and emotions. But I one thing I do want to say though is. Um, particularly we're talking about abuse, you know, we're talking about trauma. And so in trauma, it's not always that simple to change your thinking. I love to be able to tell you that you can do one of those like cognitive behavioral exercises where you, for example, you write down the false beliefs and then you like do a chart. 
write down all your false beliefs and then write down true beliefs. And a lot of times, um, like we, a lot of therapists do these type of exercises, like, and you write down those true beliefs, which the best ones I know of are scripture. You know, you replace these lies that you're believing with truth from scripture, because that's what we believe to be the ultimate truth. So, um, so that is a good exercise. Don't get me wrong. That is a good exercise. However, when we're talking about abuse and we're talking about trauma, a lot of times the mess, these negative messages that were infused within the abuse um, have to be transformed and healed at many different levels to be able to change the thinking. And fortunately, it's a lot of times not as simple as just replacing lies or false beliefs or, or false statements with true statements. That's a start. You can do, you can start that, but a lot of times we have to do some more processing through that. And that's why I think going through something like exactly what you guys are doing right now, like going through this program is so important because it requires more depth, mm-hmm. you know, and when you're talking about working with a therapist that's getting, that works with trauma, you know, we're going to be also talking about that physical response we're going to be talking about the emotional response of many levels and what you're thinking, what you're feeling and what you're feeling and experiencing in your body. For some of you, you're overly aware of what's happening in your body and you don't know why. For some of you, you're maybe totally disconnected from what's happening in your body and we need to help reconnect you because all of those false beliefs are being carried through your body too. And so that's why I'm saying there are definitely some exercises you can do, which are a good start. And for some people, it's going to make a big difference. Um, But sometimes we have to really um, help work through all that trauma that you've been carrying around for you to be able to make those changes in your thinking. Yeah. So true. Um, actually that, that brings me to, there was a couple of sentences from our book that I just felt like needed to be highlighted and, you know, underlined a hundred times. And that is, we need to realize that low self-esteem is a mindset. It's not a state of being low Mm. self-esteem is an attitude about ourselves Therefore, it can be changed. And although, like Kristen said, it might take a little bit more work than, you know, just coming here and listening to videos, you're going to have to invest in yourself and do a lot more, you know, inward thinking and and trying to figure out where these these root self-esteem issues are coming from besides your besides being sexually abused and how it's linked, just like Justin said, how it links to today and how it affects you today. But we can allow Christ to lead us as we change our mindset from one of inadequacy to one of competency and fulfillment. He can transform our feelings from helplessness to hopelessness, to affirmation, to determination, from condemnation and self-hatred to self-affirmation and love. It's so important that you remember that, that this is something that through Christ's help, you can change. And I mean, it sounds so simple, but start by saying, God, show me how to love myself the way you love me. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to love you more than God, nobody. Yeah. Yeah. And ask God for you to love yourself as much as, and in the way that God loves you. And I promise you, God will start, I hate saying tenderizing, but he'll start making your heart more tender to towards yourself. Okay. The next one is guilt. So speaking to this one a little bit, Kristen, how does somebody who's been sexually abused and who's been believing these false beliefs, how do they have this guilt in their life? 
Yeah. Um, a lot of times it's that guilt of, again, going back to taking responsibility for the fact that the abuse happened or guilt, even for bringing it up, right? Look at the disruption that you may be causing, you know, in your family and in your life, because you brought this up, you know, and someone may be directly telling you that. So whether you're feeling it or someone's telling it to you, guilt is a big thing too. And again, um, remember what we said before, we believe you, you know, this is sexual abuse is not the fault of the victim of the abuse. This is the fault of the person who was the perpetrator of the abuse. I don't care about the, the frankly, we don't care about the, the details of, of how it happened or why to um, explain away anything. This was not your fault. If this was something that was, um, you were not able to give, if something happened to you that you were not able to give um, permission to happen, you're not able, you know, because either you were a child um, or you were an adult that did not give permission to this to for this to happen to you is not your fault. So guilt, um, again, these things like the low self-esteem, the guilt, it tends to like run through all areas of your life. So it's not just guilt about sexual abuse, but your tendency can be for guilt about everything. Everything is your fault. Oh, something went bad at work. It had to have been your fault. If something's not working well at home, it had to have been your fault. Maybe someone's telling you that, but a lot of times you're telling yourself that. And that goes back to that narrative, you know, that Nicole's talking about that ends up running through your whole life. And isn't it true that there's a difference between shame and guilt? Isn't guilt about um, actions and things that we do and shame is about personhood, who we are? Yeah. I, the, one of the state, one of the clearest statements I've heard is guilt is I did something wrong and shame is I am something wrong. Mm. So guilt is, you know, a little bit more surface level and shame is, is a tend to be much deeper and talking about like who you are as a person. And like what you said, an action versus like, you know, talking about who you are as a person. And I can okay, jump right into shame too. Yes, jump yeah. right into shame. Yeah, let's jump right into shame there. You know, it's tied in tied in with the guilt part. So shame is again that that wanting to hide. There's something about you that's awful that you need to hide, that you need to shrink, that you need to disappear, that people shouldn't, you know, see you because you're that terrible. And again, this is so many times what happens because of sexual abuse, because really that's the message that was was given in that, that you do have no voice, that you have no choice, that you, um, that something is bad and wrong with you. And so again, it tends to run, um, that feeling of shame tends to run, um, when you think about the abuse, but also many times like throughout your life, um, throughout other areas of your life, you know, that shame is just there. Um, one of the things that happens of course with abuse is, is that, um, the victim is many times is silenced, right? Maybe not physically silenced, sometimes physically silenced, but you, when you experience abuse, your voice is taken away. And one of the things, because you had no choice in it, even if you think you did, um, later in life, when you think back to it and like, you may be rationalizing, I, again, like we talked about, right. Taking more responsibility than you really had for it. Um, so that shame part, a lot of times what we're trying, what we are trying to do in the healing process is giving the person their voice back. You know, and that's why it's so important for victims of sexual abuse to say what they need to say, because a lot of times they were used to being quiet, you know, and that can run through so many areas of their lives. And, and if you're anything like me, like you could take that too far. And then now you're like telling everybody 
because you feel like now everyone needs to know like this is how you hurt me this is how you make me feel like gosh and I have to I'm like on a pendulum right like intense you know still now I'm in this place of still like taking back my voice like come on and now I'm like hoping I'm gonna smooth on out over here and be less come to the middle yeah yeah well yeah I don't want to be over here because that's like on the opposite but in the middle like calm a little bit more calm recognizing that I don't have to stand up for every injustice and every wrong and know what not everybody needs to know my my um needs and you know that whole thing (laughs) hey how awesome is that to go from like if we're talking about silenced to like you're not going to stop hearing me like like all right, Nicole. But yeah, a lot of times with change, I, I want to just kind of normalize that process for people too. A lot of times with change, we are at one extreme and we tend to go to the other extreme in the, in the midst of change before we do land in the middle. That is that pendulum thing. We swing from one opposite to the other when we're changing and eventually it does get down to that middle ground, which is a little more, um, it's kind of a better place, a more balanced place to land. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the dream where everyone wants to be is in that yes. middle. middle yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we want to close up by just giving you, and it feels so like, you know, checklist, but it, it's, it's truly not. This has been something that has helped me not only with my false beliefs of sexual abuse, but in the false beliefs that I'm believing in general, because there's going to be so many times you're faced with, is that true? Is that, you know, and then, and you're going to have to combat it with something. So here's just five important steps that you can do. Number one is identify the false belief. Where is it coming from? What is the actual message that is being told to you? Look for the root of the false belief. Where did it come from? Who introduced this false belief to you? I'm sure as I'm saying these things, you can be thinking about other things in your life where you've got this, this false belief narrative running through you and where you can identify, okay, wait, that came from that person. That, that message started when I was young, that, you know, the root of that was here with my dad or something like that. And you want to recognize that that false belief is a lie. Call it what it is. I have, this is like, I feel cheesy saying this, but I do this often. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I had to do it today. I started on this path, was doing this whole thing. I identified something that was a narrative that was being told to me in my head. And then I was like, wait, what is, where's the root of that coming from? I went right back to, and I don't know why, went right back to being bullied as a kid. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, because when you were bullied as a kid, you know, you put up this wall, like you wanted to be tough and you wanted people to see you as tough. So now you have this like thing where you're oh, like, you never like when people see you as weak. And I'm like, okay, but how's that benefiting me? So then I was like, but that's a lie that I want to be seen as tough. Like I want people to see me as tender and soft and gentle. So I said, but that's a lie. Right. And so I called it what it was mm-hmm. and then relinquished that false belief. Like let it go. Is that, that's what relinquish means, right? Let it go. Yep. <laughs> okay. And Turn then, it back in. It's not mine. Yeah, it's not mine. I'm not going to keep walking in yeah. that. One yeah. of the things I tell my friends often is stop saying you struggle with a, B and C, mm. because if you keep saying I struggle with something, you're going to keep struggling with it. So say, you know, I'm overcoming this. I'm mm-hmm. going, to, I, well, I mean, I like to talk in the active voice, but overcome. I'm going to, I'm overcoming this. I'm working at it. Right. You don't have to, if you keep saying you're struggling, you're going to keep struggling. 
and then use scripture as a source of truth. So this is so simplified, but it's it works. And go get a card, um, an yeah. index card, and put that sucker on your mirror if you have to. I, I go to my mom's house, and this is so funny, but she, my mom has been working extremely hard to lose weight. And she looks great. So I go in her bathroom. I don't live with her, obviously. So I go to her house and I go in her bathroom and she's got like a couple of index cards of affirmations. And one was um, food tastes better on your lips than it does on your hips. And I was like, oh, like she's not a Christian. So she doesn't get it in that way. But it was it was powerful for her. She needed that. She needed something to convict her, to hold her accountable and we as Christians, we have scripture as like ultimate truth, right? Like people walk mm-hmm. around and they say, well, that's my truth. Well, we don't need to know what everyone's individual opinionated truths are. We need to know what God says, our creator, about yeah. who we are yeah. and how he sees us. And you got to fill your mind up with those truths because the world's going to give you a gazillion different truths to follow. And you're going to be all over the place. Well, I want to say something real quick too, to be clear about this. When I was saying about that exercise also, right, about writing down those lies that you've been believing and then replacing them with truth, such as scripture, I'm going to tell you there is nothing more powerful than scripture. What I want, meaning that is absolute, I believe, we believe it's, it is ultimate truth. And so, and a scripture is live and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, the Bible tells us. So it's, doing something, even if you are struggling to actually believe it about yourself at the time, because sometimes we do, particularly because of trauma, it does not mean that something is not happening there. That God is not using that, that it's, that it's working in some area that you may not even be able to recognize yet. So please understand that when I was saying that before, that I know this is that, um, that this can be hard and it doesn't always work right away to write down those false beliefs, replace them with truth. It doesn't mean that it's not something good to do. Um, sometimes we just need a little more of um, a little more work to be able to clear out enough way for that to be to re- to solidly replace what you the lie you've been holding on to, and to even receive it as truth, like. For instance, I used to do that way back in the day, but I think about now the the work that I did then at the time, I don't know what it was doing for me, but I can think back and I apply it now. And I'm like, remember that time where I was writing down truths and stuff like that? Remember that now? And they'll, they'll come to me verses will come to me. And now I'm like, I'll like, look it up and I'm like, Ooh, that's good. I need that for my soul. And it may not have it may not have been so weighty at that moment, but it, it, you never, just like she said, it's alive, it's living, it's breathing. That means it's doing something inside of your soul that no human words can do for you. No book, no self-help, no podcast, no song can do for you. Only the word, the scripture can bring life to your soul in that way. So true. I mean, I think uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this, that, um, the, the lie tells you that you're dirty, but the Bible tells you that you're clean, right? The, the lie tells you that you are worthless, but God says that you are worthy and worthwhile to the point that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. Um, there's for every lie that you can come up with, there is definitely a biblical truth that refutes that. And that to 
uh, both Kristen and Nicole's point, um, you know, I think today, as Nicole referenced, everyone's walking around acting like truth is relative, right? Well, this is this is my truth and this is my truth, but there there has to be absolute truth, right? On what basis is there right and wrong, right? It has to be an absolute standard. Otherwise, there's no grounds for any sort of morality, any sort of law, any sort of justice. All of that depends on there being an absolute truth, right? And the Bible tells us that uh, God, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? So, um, the most valuable thing that you can do here as you're wrestling through this. And I think every one of us on the screen to this day still struggles with false beliefs um, and has to actively work to overcome those false beliefs day in and day out. And, you know, as we've shared, you know, the best way to do that is, you know, have that verse memorized, have that ready. So when that thought pops into your mind, it's immediate that, you know, no, I'm not worthless. I'm worthwhile. No, I'm I'm not weak. Well, I, I am weak, but in my weakness, I am strong. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. And, um, you know, I think like we talked about before, the therapy is super important. Having the trusted friend is super, super important. Walking through this healing journey is so important. Um, and reading the Bible and praying won't make your trauma heal, but it's so important as a, a part of your healing that you are deepening that relationship with God and that you're filling your mind with truth. Um, I'll end it with this. Um, the analogy that I've seen several times is you have a glass full of dirty, disgusting water, right? It's, it's sitting there. And um, the best way to clean that out is to take a huge giant jug of fresh water and pour it in and all that junk gets washed out. It's replaced with the clean pure. And that's what the word of God does for our hearts and our minds. Amen. That's so beautiful. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Honestly, we, we, we could not be, I mean, I keep saying it, but we could not be more excited for you in the journey that you're on here it's tough. Don't lose hope on the way. You matter. You're worth it. And we will see you next time. Bye. Hi. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.